This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Buck Phillips, Chief Financial Officer of G1 Therapeutics, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. Hi, it's Jack. Before we begin today's episode, we're here at the Modern SaaS Finance Summit, hosted by Sage Intact here in New York this past week. And I'm speaking to Pete Tantillo, CFO of Rapid Ratings, a fast-growing SaaS company. Pete, over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? Well, Jack, we just raised a amount of capital last year, and we have new investors with high expectations and a new exit strategy, quite frankly, which is to be successful, to be able to significantly increase the valuation of our business in the next three to five years. So it's all about profitable revenue growth, continuing to build our recurring revenue book of ARR, and to increase our EBITDA and cash flow. And then those metrics, if they're in place, I think that we'll be successful in accomplishing our goals. We're seeing a dramatic shift in the industry around us towards data moving to the cloud, and we can help facilitate and provide that. That's a very important wave for us strategically to catch on to. And so watching the percentage mix uh, of new ARR we're adding, Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's episode, we speak to Adam Meister, CFO of Talon, a cloud data integration company. As our listeners know well, by now we've spoken with quite a few finance leaders from Silicon Valley. And so given this point of comparison, we'd like to think we have some perspective when it comes to communicating complex ideas. Whether it's a seemingly mild manner temperament or his jargon-free sentences, when placed alongside his professional peers, CFO Adam Meister, we would argue, is a world-class communicator. Our discussion begins after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email 
at beingplanful at planful.com. That's uh, my shorthand, not Adam's. We'll let Adam explain uh, the company's offerings a little later. But first, welcome, Adam. Thanks for being with us. Jack, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So we're going to start where we always do, which is to ask our CFO guests to look backwards for us and tell us a little bit about themselves and those experiences they feel prepared them for a CFO role. Adam, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, so I spent my entire career leading up to taking this role at Talent um, in investment banking and mergers and acquisitions. So not a not a typical path to the CFO seat, um, but one that prepped me very well for the strategic elements of this job. Uh, I'd say there's a couple of kind of key milestones that I really focus in on that were defining moments for me. One. I remember the first IPO I ever led uh, for a company called Guidewire Software. This was relatively early in my career, but that gave me just this vivid detail for how critical finance was to the overall business, whether that's pricing, packaging, sales strategy, compensation, uh, and then really interesting how all the components of a business fit together to ultimately form the blueprint uh, of the business. And so that was where it really clicked for me of how valuable the CFO role should be to a growing company. Second big milestone for me was I did take a detour for a period of time and did corporate development uh, at Visa, actually. And that's an interesting role because you really don't have any direct reports in that, in that group. Uh, and so you learn a lot about how to motivate and mobilize a team um, from a position of collaboration, but not where you have direct authority. And there's a real power in how you lead by example and can show value um, to business owners and peers by helping them look and understand the economics of a business. And then the last one I'd point to was um, my penultimate step to this role, which is I joined Goldman um, as a commercial contributor and advisor And, you know, that was a position that really forced me to always be thinking about the different perspectives and priorities of the people involved in a given transaction, whether that's an IPO event or merger and acquisition, Um, and really force you to to think about framing trade-offs clearly, um, assessing risk tolerance, uh, always contemplating the second and third derivative moves. Uh, of a decision that you're making, and how those decisions then impact um, a broader organization. And so, you know, those are a couple of key milestones that I really think about as preparing me for the role that I've taken on at Talon, and have been very valuable to me here. Was there a place in time before you joined Talon, maybe the course of the, the year prior, where you said to yourself, if the right opportunity, the right opportunity came along, you would join um, a tech company as a CFO. I mean, could it have been another role? Could it have been a, uh, you know, a business development role of some kind? Sure. What, what was your, what was the opportunity that led you into the CFO office, really? What was it that led you? 
I think for a long time I had a desire to move to the operating side in the capacity of a CFO. And so really it was about um, what was the right opportunity, what was the right company, what was the right management team to join um, that I could be successful and I could help them be successful. Um, I was always most interested in the CFO role because of the, um, the influence that it can have across the broad organization versus in a particular you know, function um, such as business development or corporate development. Uh, and so that was always my aspiration. And I was ready to, I had a great career and a fantastic experience at Goldman. I could have stayed there for another 10 years. Um, but Talon was a client of mine. I helped take them public in 2016. Um, and I knew Mike, the CEO here, very, very well. Uh, and when he called, it was just an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. Okay. All right. So when you step into that role, did you have any an idea of the job you wanted to create for yourself? And, again, it's interesting because uh, for many of the uh, finance leaders uh, we speak to, over time they were always looking up into the role. You sort of had this interesting looking sideways or collaborating yeah. with the companies as you described. You had a different viewpoint. But um, so when you arrive, I'm curious, what influenced how you wanted to uh, approach the role? Well, I'll tie this back to what was interesting about Y Talent, um, and that is we are a, uh, a $1.5 billion market cap public software company that's still in growth mode. And the set of decisions and opportunities that you face going from, you know, $200 million of revenue to $500 million of revenue is fundamentally different than the ones you face trying to get to $200 million in the first place and just get public. And so new routes to market, uh, hard trade-offs in terms of product strategy and where you're going to invest in engineering, um, new ways to think about um, making customers successful, uh, suddenly there are a lot of elements of the business where someone with a strategic lens and a finance background can be incredibly helpful in guiding strategy. And so I wanted this organization to be viewed as a, a single source of truth and visibility um, into the business uh, from an operating metrics and a financial metrics perspective and um, bring a client services um, approach and culture that really attracted uh, other business leaders and my peers on the exec team uh, to come and seek us out for help as they were facing, you know, tough, tough decisions with their respective businesses and navigating um, their strategies over the next couple of years. Uh, and so that's something that, you know, I'm only eight months in, we're still fostering, but um, I've been really excited about uh, helping my finance organization get more involved in some of those functions, whether it be go-to-market or uh, or operations or customer success. Now, when you arrive in the role, I'm curious as to whether you found it had all the visibility that you expected it would. And I'm sure there were metrics you had already used to measure the business. But once inside, did it did it have all the visibility you wanted? Yeah, you know, having covered software companies for my entire career, um, I've had the benefit of spending a lot of time with CEOs and CFOs across the entire valley and understand how they think about their businesses. And so 
really valuable to be able to draw on all of those insights that I've gathered over the years. Um, a subscription business model has a couple of key components that are always going to be top of mind and in focus, and that absolutely are the right metrics for us to pay attention to, too. So I look at, at annualized recurring revenue as the best indicator for the health of my business. Um, that's basically the sum of all um, contracts that we have under management at any given point in time. And so looking at that in aggregate and the pace of change gives me a really good view for how we're growing with new customers, how we're expanding with existing customers, and how we're retaining customers. Uh, and so there are you know, components of, of that number that trickle out into every aspect of our business. Um, another really important metric for us right now, given where we're at as a company, is the mix of cloud as a percentage of new ARR in the period. And so we have historically been a uh, install piece of software uh, on-premise, and we're seeing a dramatic shift in the industry around us towards data moving to the cloud, and we can help facilitate and provide that. That's a very important wave for us strategically to catch on to. And so watching the percentage mix uh, of new ARR we're adding that comes from our cloud products versus our licensed products is incredibly important. And then the last metric that I focus on is free cash flow. Um, that's key because it shows me the overall economics of our business. It also shows me what my group, as it relates to managing working capital, is contributing to the actual performance of the business. Um, so those are probably the three most important that I watch. I'd say ARR and free cash flow are going to be common metrics for any subscription um, software company or any subscription company, period. And then because of where we sit, that mix of cloud is also very important. Curious about your team and the sort of the mix of skills uh, you have sought out. What would you share with us in terms of the types of people you are looking to bring into your team? Yeah, well, given my background, um, and I didn't come from a, a public accounting background, it was, it was important for me as part of my diligence on joining, uh, as well as continued focus now that I'm here, to having a really strong bench of, um, uh, of a technical accounting team, um, because that's, I had to partner with my controller uh, day in and day out. Uh, and so um, that's a, that's a skill set that's critical for any finance organization. Uh, for me, it was particularly important to understand. Um, you know, beyond that, look, the most valuable quality that I always seek out in candidates uh, is not a particular domain expertise. It's not a particular experience. I look for people that are incredibly intellectually curious and have good judgment. If I can find somebody that's always asking the next layer of detail and a question until they get down to root cause and has a good, uh, a good sense of when to ask for help or when they need um, some external perspective, then I feel comfortable giving a ton of autonomy to my team and letting them just run. Uh, and so, you know, those two attributes you can fill across an FP&A team, uh, an accounting team, or, you know, in my case, even a legal organization which reports up to me. 
ask you about the company's offerings. Help us understand what exactly are the offerings and, and who is that, you know, sort of the target customer here? Yeah, yeah. So Talon is a cloud data integration leader. Uh, and effectively what that means is we help our customers um, extract uh, and connect data from various systems they have across their organization uh, in a way that helps them draw business value out of it. Now, that might mean uh, business intelligence and analytics, which would be very top of mind for, um, for your audience, Jack. Uh, it can also be operational use cases where you know, we are an underlying technology that helps Domino's deliver pizza via a mobile app. Uh, and so um, it's a very horizontal piece of software. Uh, it's, it's a need that almost every organization has. And we typically sell to um, the chief information officer or a chief data officer uh, of a business. More and more, we are seeing business users interested in what we do because of the problems they're trying to solve in drawing different insights about their customers, um, uh, and um, uh, and trying to create analytics um, to help make their their business decisions down in kind of the uh, the individual business lines versus in the central IT organization. What you were just mentioning there is there um, anecdote that you could illustrate for us. What exactly are these insights that uh, companies will enjoy by having this uh, technology? What would be a sort of a front of the lines example? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll try to give a really tangible one. So um, think about a digital marketing strategy. A company might know that you're a customer, and they might have you, Jack, in their, uh, their database of existing customers. And they might know your address and the last time you purchased something uh, and you know maybe some basic demographic information about you. They want to be able to couple that with, uh, web marketing analytics uh, where they don't know definitively whether you're searching for a product, but they have some indications of that, right? And then they might want to couple that with um, purchasing behavior via a, you know, credit card processing system or something. Piecing together that it's the same jack from all of those various systems is a data integration problem and normalizing the information coming from those different systems so they can develop a 360-degree view of you is what we help facilitate. I'm curious, uh, for someone like yourself, uh, if you've ever thought how the customer view that you enjoy, those metrics that you've discussed with us yep. uh, that measure uh, sort of the customer experience, really, um, how is that going to influence beyond SaaS? Do you think uh, some of what you're leveraging today, some of what you're really using very effectively today, those metrics, are going to be able to be applied elsewhere in some way, meaning other industries beyond SaaS? Is, as a SaaS CFO, do you see uh, yourself as being part of a, a more influential group in finance today? Well, I think... Yes. So, you know, subscription business models in general are on the rise. Um, 
And so understanding the economics of, uh, of a subscription model, you know, really telcos pave the road here if you think about um, mobile phone operators in terms of how you think about um, revenue per customer and churn dynamics and how that builds over time. And SaaS is the next evolution of that. And you're seeing that business model adopted more and more as, you know, think about your Amazon Prime membership being a subscription, right? Uh, and the value to businesses is obviously you, you get a sticky relationship with a customer that you can enjoy for a long period of time. And as a result, justify investing more on the front end to acquire that customer because they're going to contribute to the business um, for a long period. And that means I'm comfortable being ROI negative for a year or two because I think I've got seven years of relationship with this, you know, with this particular customer. So I do think that that business model is, is becoming much more common. And I think some of the economics um, and metrics that, that SaaS CFOs watch every day are going to become much more commonplace outside of the software world. We'll be back with CFO Adam Meister in 30 seconds. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We always like to ask for what we refer to as a finance strategic moment, and I'm certain you've had quite a few of these along the way. Uh, but this is where your lines of sight yeah. uh, as a finance executive allowed you to see an opportunity or a risk, uh, and uh, you responded. Uh, and uh, maybe you... Uh, <laughs> Uh, avoided something, or maybe you uh, uh, told your team to do things differently, whatever it may have been. Does anything yeah. come to mind? Yeah, I'll give you one that we're, we're going through you know, right now as a company. Um, as we move our, uh, more and more of our sales to the cloud, and we think about helping customers that we've had for a long period of time actually migrate to the cloud, um, you have to carefully think about how the unit economics of that works. And so, you know, you can't discount a cloud product where you bear the burden of providing the service um, the same way you'd be willing to discount a premise piece of software where you're just delivering it and the customer's kind of on the hook for operating it. Uh, and so something that we identified uh, as we're thinking about this shift is, wow, the sales strategy uh, and the pricing and packaging strategy have to have a line of sight and visibility all the way down to the unit economics of a given customer to make sure that we're acquiring customers profitably and that we're moving customers into the cloud profitably. And so that's a great example of where 
you know, only somebody with um, a broad perspective of all the different facets of the business can start to connect those dots and then actually drive some strategic direction around, you know, how do we sort through that problem? How do we retrain Salesforce or how do we think about evolving our packaging in the future? Um, and that's something that I don't have a conclusion on yet, but uh, it's something that's been top of mind for me um, for the last couple months. Now, what you just described, is that uh, involve lifetime customer value calculations and all of that, or are you speaking of something? That's exactly. Yeah. Nope, you're exactly right. Okay. You're exactly right. So how much does it cost to acquire them? How much does it cost to support them? And how long will they stay with us? And do you think, and I'm certain you've, you've looked at how other companies have made that calculation in the past, is that is it changing? Is it, does it need to be modified in some way? Does it not? Most most ways of calculating it are they? Is it evolving? I think that uh, every company has to have its own unique flavor of how they calculate that metric to make it meaningful to them. Uh, and so I think we've continued to evolve how we think about it. Um, I think the industry overall has come to some new thinking uh, on it, but you know, really, it's it's important to be um, to make that bespoke for your given situation, and that was a big you know reality check for me, um, both in this role and in investment banking, is you know the metrics that that investors care about are ones that they want to be able to normalize across a broad set of companies for comparability sakes. And there should be ones that are com transferable to what you might look at internally to manage your operations. But those two things are not always perfectly connected. Uh, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, you need to watch them both uh, from the perspective of understanding what the different vantage points into your business are. Um, but, you know, our view of unit economics is going to be dependent on the individual facets of our business. Um, and it's not necessarily the exact measure that I recommend for another CFO. Okay. We're going to move to uh, what we'd like to refer to as the mentoring round, where I ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and advise future finance leaders. What is one thing that's exciting you today about finance and business as compared to maybe five, ten years ago? What is it today that's uh, getting you out of bed? Well, for me, I think it's really been this shift of the CFO as a strategic thought leader in an organization and seeing the, the breadth of influence expand well beyond um, the reporting and accounting functions that, you know, have traditionally been their wheelhouse. Um, that, that gets me out of bed every day. It's also what motivated me to, to, to come chase this job. Yeah. What is it? Interestingly, again, you were a close observer of finance leaders in this role, but so you had a lot of experience with uh, with some of the gray hairs out there, no doubt, who had uh, taken some companies public. But I'm wondering, what is it that you wish someone had told you when you stepped into that role the first day, the first week, first month? What is it that piece of information you wish someone had given you? You know, I think um, um, this is advice I did get, but I say I underestimated. And that is, you know, change management is really hard work. Uh, and 
when you come into a CFO role and you have a pretty large organization with multiple layers, um, you have to be very thoughtful about what changes you want to implement and how you have to actually develop your own communication strategy around those and implementation strategy to really drive them through the entire organization. Um, that's pretty fundamentally different than uh, my experience in banking where you've got relatively lean teams um, uh, and can move pretty nimbly. And so that's a piece of advice I got from one of my old clients um, that had also made a banking to CFO transition. Um, but despite the good advice, I probably still underestimated it. Do you have a personal habit or part of your daily routine that you, uh, that you believe has contributed to your professional success? Uh, I don't know if you can call this a habit, but um, I always tend to play devil's advocate. And uh, my, fi my fiance uh, it probably drives her crazy. But <laughs> I, have a, I have a tendency to always want to create a conversation and an exchange of an ideas and think about uh, the what-if scenarios. Um, and I don't know if that was something that came from my career or something that came from where I grew up, but um, it's, a, it's an important element of creating a conversation with my team to draw out all the information around the table so that we're making – you know, our decisions based on all the information available to us. A question about uh, just uh, have you been in the, in the Bay Area throughout most of your career then? I have, yeah. I've, um, uh, I've spent a little bit of time in St. Louis after undergraduate, but made my way out here uh, about 13 years ago. And when you were with uh, Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan before that, were you in uh, downtown San Francisco? That's right. So I'm just making the, the guess that you're now uh, really joined the commuting masses and are, are driving out to uh, Redwood City every day. So you're a, officially a commuter uh, for the first time in a long time in your career. I'm a, I am a commuter. I am a commuter for the first time in a long time. That's been a little bit of an adjustment. Um, uh, so I definitely have had to get into a bit more of a routine. One of the uh, one of the benefits of uh, of that commute time is I've started to listen to a lot of books on tape so I'm catching up on uh, I'm catching up on some of my reading well that's a, a great segue for us we want to uh, ask you about a, a book if there's one you'd like to recommend uh, you know I've got two that I just finished one is um, principles uh, by Ray Dalio the CIO and chairman of Bridgewater um, and that is a fascinating case study on uh, how he developed an organization that really emphasized radical transparency uh, and candor. Um, uh, and that's, that's one that I'd like to draw some insights on for my team and encourage your, your listeners to read. And then another one actually is, uh, is called Grit uh, by Angela Duckworth. Great study um, from a psychologist's point of view on what you know, what the attributes that define um, grit and tenacity are. And there's lessons in there personally. There's lessons in there as a leader. There's lessons in there as a parent as well. We're up to our final question where we get to ask you to finally look forward for us and tell us what are those priorities you've created for yourself over the next 12 months. My biggest priority for us as a business is – to do everything we can to help facilitate this 
um, move to the cloud. So I want the metrics and the operational systems um, uh, and the sales ops that will allow us to make that move as a company. From a finance team in particular, my biggest priority is that um, we create that um, single source of truth and center of excellence where we can be uh, the hub of information for our entire business to help both evaluate our performance, but most importantly look forward into the future and define our strategy. And I think we're making good progress along that, that, um, that vision. But, you know, it, it, um, it takes some time to really implement Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.